Hello everyone, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Matthew 27. We're going to take up the first 10 verses of the chapter where Judas hangs himself. We're going to talk about the demise of the betrayer of Jesus. We are at the stage in Jesus' trial at daybreak. He's already undergone two trials at night, two preliminary, I, I I really don't want to call them trials, it was kangaroo court, interrogations, sweatings, Annas, the high priest Jesus was taken to first, and he went from there to Caiaphas, the other high priest, the current ruling high priest, his Annas' son-in-law, Caiaphas, where they finally gave up on finding false witnesses, but they got Jesus to con- confess that he was the Messiah. The temple servants and the attendants there slapped him and beat him and spit on him, and then they carried him out. Jesus sees Peter deny him for the third time. The cock crows three times, and Jesus is carted off to Pilate. We'll take up his trial before Pontius Pilate during the early morning of Friday morning in the next audio. Now we're going to talk about what happened to Judas. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 2. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away. They led him away from Caiaphas' house where they were interrogating him at night. And they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Notice they never let Jesus go anywhere unless he was tied up. They might have been scared that Jesus might make a break for it or that maybe some of the people in the crowd might try to spring him. But anyway, they tied him up and it humiliated him even more, put him in more of a humiliating situation. Now, how did the chief priests and the people plot against Jesus to put him to death? Well, they you read about this in the previous chapter when they had him before the in in the house there before some of the elders, not all, but some of the elders and priests of the Sanhedrin in there as they tried to get the false witness and so forth, tried to figure out how they were going to nail him, how they were going to come up with some kind of charge to give to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And remember, they couldn't really get him on blasphemy because the Romans didn't care about that. They cared about civil commotion. So they're trying to figure out how they're going to get him for for plotting a revolution or plotting riots and that kind of thing. Now, why why is daybreak significant? Because the Sanhedrin had to wait until dawn before they could pronounce a legal sentence. Capital cases had to be tried in the daytime. Of course, they had already done their preliminary work at night in that kangaroo court. I mentioned five things that they did to violate the procedure in a, in a previous audio. They had him guilty without assuming he was innocent. They didn't listen to his evidence. They didn't They didn't do anything right. They didn't try the false witnesses. They knew they were false. It was it was a kangaroo court. Well, they came at daybreak so they could get a legal Sanhedrin verdict, and they did. Before they got that legal decision, which is we see in Luke 22, verse 66, when daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before the Sanhedrin. So they had an official meeting of the Sanhedrin, which probably met in a room in the temple somewhere. They had earlier gotten an unofficial condemnation in Caiaphas' house. In Matthew 26, verse 66, Caiaphas says, What is your decision? They answered, He deserves death. So they got what looks like an official condemnation. They got it gussied up as good as they could to take it before Pontius Pilate. Now, why did they have to hand Jesus over to the Romans? Because the Romans had deprived the Sanhedrin of authority over most capital cases. There was an exception if a foreigner invaded the precinct of the temple they could try that as a capital case, but in general, in general, the Jews had no jurisdiction over capital cases, and they had to turn it over to the Romans. So therefore, as I said earlier, in order for the Jews to make a capital case, they had to accuse Jesus of insurrection, because the Romans weren't concerned whether Jesus was the Jews' Messiah or not. 
Now, the handing over to the Romans actually fulfills what Jesus said earlier, Matthew 20, verse 19. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he will be resurrected on the third day. If I remember correctly, that was when Jesus was just talking to his disciples, predicting that he was going to be killed and resurrected. But he, he mentions that he, that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, which is exactly what happened. Now, why would the Jews, well, the Jews had to turn the case over to the Romans, but why would they, why would they like to do so? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it, was a re- it would remove the infamy of the murder from their hands so they could not take the blame for the judicial murder they were about to commit. And also, they would have the pleasure of Jesus dying more cruelly on the cross rather than stoning. And if you think that this was beneath the Jews, then you don't know the Jewish leaders that were trying to get Jesus. All you have to re- do is read the Gospel of Matthew or any of the Gospels and see that these people were full of the most malevolent cruelty and evil of any group of people that you ever saw in your life. Now let's talk about Pontius Pilate a little bit. He was the Roman governor of Judea. He was just a procurator. He was not a king. He was one of a string of procurators. I think there was about seven of them from the death of Jesus. Well, after after Pontius, there were seven of them until the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. So he was a relatively minor official. His official residence was at Caesarea, about 30 or 40 miles away to the west on the coast. When he came to Jerusalem, he stayed in Herod's palace. And so, as we learn from Mark, this is where Jesus' trial before Pilate took place, not in the temple area, but in one of Herod's residential palaces where the Praetorium is, at least they think it is, in one of Herod's palace. This uh, palace was a little south and west of the temple area. Mark 15, verse 16 says this, Then the soldiers led him away into the courtyard that is headquarters, the NIV that's the HCSB translation's headquarters. The NIV says the Praetorium. That's what the Romans called it. And they call the whole company together. So this is where the trial of Jesus has taken place. Now let's look at what happened to Pontius Pilate after he committed the judicial murder on Jesus. Well, he exercised great cruelties against the Samaritans. He was not a good guy. The Samaritans complained to the emperor. The Romans deposed him, sent him into exile. Two years later, Pilate killed himself. He ruled from about 26 to 36, right during the time when Jesus was killed in AD 30. We go to Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. This is Judas Iscariot. He saw that Jesus had been condemned. Well, when did he see it? Well, he could have seen it, the official condemnation by the Sanhedrin, which was meeting in the temple there. He could have seen Pontius Pilate take jurisdiction over him, which, and we're about to see that in the next audio. In the next, uh, starting with verse 11, we're going to see Pilate trying Jesus, but he could have seen it then. He could have seen both. He could have been at Sanhedrin's trial, and, and uh, he could have seen Pilate condemn him. doesn't really matter. He saw it somehow. Now, why was he so full of remorse? This is less than a day after he betrayed Jesus. He betrayed Jesus early Friday morning late Thursday night, and this is early in Friday morning. We're talking about half a day, and he's already sorry about what he did. Well, it's probably because he saw that condemnation. They saw that, oh, they're going to kill him. He was probably thinking he could turn Jesus over. He would, Jesus would escape because he always did. He would get his 30 pieces of silver. Jesus would go his way. Judas would go his way, and he would live happily ever after. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Jesus got killed. He, and Judas was full of remorse. You think, oh, well, maybe he got saved. No, he didn't. He didn't. We'll see later. He never got saved. Some people like to speculate on that. No, he didn't. He didn't get saved. I'll show you that in a minute. Well, I'll show it to you right now. John 6, verse 64. 
Jesus is talking. But there are some among you who don't believe. Jesus is talking to his disciples. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. So right there in that one verse, you see the don't believe connected up with the one who won't, who would betray him. Now, it's, that's not absolutely mathematically certain, but it sure indicates Judas wasn't saved. Now, here's a quote from John Gill to show that that tends to back me up on that, showing that Judas's repentance was not a true repentance. It was a, it was a sorrow at getting caught, rather a sorrow of, of horror at what he had done, rather than repentance in the Christian in the getting saved sense. Quote: It was not such a repentance by which he became wiser and better, but an excruciating, tormenting pain in his mind by which he became worse. Therefore, a different word is here used than what commonly is for true repentance. The English has remorse here. They In the Holman Christian Study Bible, remorse rather than repentance. It was not a godly sorrow for sin or a sorrow for sin as committed against God, which works repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but a worldly sorrow which issues in death as it did in him. It did not spring from the love of God as evangelical repentance does, nor proceed in the fear of God and his goodness. And I think that I don't have any doubt with that. John Gill goes on to say in his inimitable way, quote, Judas's repentance was without hope of forgiveness and was nothing else but horror and black despair like that of Cain's, like the trembling of devils and the anguished and the anguish of damned souls. Now notice that Judas returned the 30 pieces of silver because he felt guilty about it. We're going to later on see that the scripture says that Judas knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that Jesus wasn't a false messiah. He was just betraying him so he could get the money. It shows what an SOB he was. But returning the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, that proved that Jesus' own betrayer knew he was innocent. And it would have looked very bad if Jesus had been condemned by one of his own disciples. But Judas, in returning the, the money, helps establish the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. Even his own betrayer knew he wasn't a false messiah. Here's a quote from Adam Clark. The same person, struck with remorse, came and declared his own guilt and Christ's innocence. This is talking about when he threw the 30 pieces of silver back at the chief priest, tried to return it to them. Accused and convicted the Jewish rulers, he, Judas, accused and convicted the Jewish rulers in the open council of having hired him to do this iniquitous act. He accused them by throwing the money back, threw them back the bribe they had given him, and then hanged himself through distress and despair, concluding his iniquity in this business was too great to be forgiven. Matthew 27, verse 4. Well, before I, I read, before I go on, let's make a note here that not only in Matthew do we find out about Judas, but also in Acts chapter 1, verses 16 through 19, where Peter stands up in the upper room right after they had replaced Judas, actually, or getting ready to replace Judas with Matthias. They had the lots cast between those two disciples there. This is what Peter says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. This is Luke now talking, not Peter. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst and burst open in the middle and all his insides spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called Hakodama, that is, field of blood. Hakodama is, in Aramaic is field of blood. 
Now, there's no other mention of Judas in the synoptic in any of the other Gospels. There's just that mention that Peter made in Acts, and it creates a harmonization problem. So let me just really quickly go over the chronology here. Jesus, uh, Judas, excuse me, Judas throws the silver back to the chief priest because they wouldn't take it back at first. He, but he throws it to them in the temple somewhere. Then they take it and they go buy a potter's field where strangers could be buried. Judas, in the meanwhile, leaves and, full of remorse, goes and hangs himself, probably in that potter's field, although it doesn't say that specifically, but people speculate, and I think it makes sense to think that since they bought the field there with his money, Judas probably felt attached to the field and says, well, I deserve to die in the field that, that was bought with my 30 pieces of silver. So he hangs himself. The body's not discovered. He hangs himself, and his body rots, either the body rots or maybe the rope that he tied himself to the tree rotted or maybe the branch broke or maybe it's just body rotted and broken half now i was watching uh, reading a web page by a homicide detective who did a lot of investigations of murders and he said it's very common for bodies when they're not found for a while the bacteria inside the body uh, creates a lot of oxygen and the body's bloat and they get real big and the part that that bloats the most of the stomach. So if it would be logical that his stomach would burst open and all his insides spill out if his body had not been found. The only other problem of reconciliation here is that we find in one passage that, well, in the Acts passage, that this man acquired a field that would be Judas, but actually the chief priest brought it. Well, what it means is is that Judas gave the money to the chief priest, and then the chief priest acquired the field, so it just collapses all that. And so Judas indirectly acquired the field with his unrighteous wages. Wages, that's not a big deal. So that's, that's how you reconcile those two accounts. Now we can go over to verse 4 in Matthew 27. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said, he, Judas. He's talking to the Jewish religious officials there in the temple. Judas admits... I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. What's that to us? They said, see to it yourself. The NIV says, translates that see to it yourself as that is your responsibility. In other words, we're, we don't have a thing to do with this. Judas didn't want to have a thing to do with it either. He wasn't going to touch that blood. And ironically, the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with it either because they said, this is blood, blood money. We're going to have to, we can't put it in the temple treasury. So Jesus' own betraying you, he was innocent. That ended any possibility that the Jews could use Judas to argue that Jesus was a false messiah. Judas had been with Jesus for three years. He couldn't come up with anything to show that he was false, and he confessed. Look, I, I made a mistake. I sinned. I betrayed innocent blood. Well, of course, the Sanhedrin wasn't interested in justice. It was a kangaroo court. And so we go to verse 5. They wouldn't take the money back. So we go to verse 5. So he, Judas, threw the silver into the sanctuary and departed. They wouldn't take it, so he threw it in there. Then he went and hanged himself. Now this fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Peter mentioned that in the upper room to fulfill the prophecy. Zechariah 11.13 says, Throw it to the potter. The Lord said to me, This magnificent price I was valued for them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. And so the way that's fulfilled is the 30 pieces of silver goes into the temple, the temple priest, the temple officials, then buy the potter's field. And then the potter who sold the field got the money. So the money went to the potter, just like Zechariah said. It's kind of collapsed a little bit, and it's not exactly clear on first reading, but that's how it works. Now, when it says... Judas threw the money into the sanctuary. That could have been into the council chamber in the temple where the Sanhedrin met. 
It could have been by the temple door and those boxes, the trumpets there that were placed there for free will offerings. Or he could have actually followed a priest as the priest was going to minister into the sanctuary and thrown the money into the actual holy place. I tend to think it was in, in, through the temple door in, in the court of women where the trumpets were for the free will offerings because that makes sense to throw the money where they where money is kept. By the way, that word hanged, Adam Clark says some eminent critics say that the word should be translated strangled, and thus Judas was strangled by excessive grief. Now, John Gill's got an interesting speculation here. I don't believe it, but it's still interesting. He says this, quote, A suffocation brought upon him by excessive grief, deep melancholy, and utter despair, when being choked by it, he fell flat upon his face, and the rim of his belly burst, and his entrails came out. In other words, instead of being hung, he strangled himself from grief. This the G, this disease the Jews call Iscara, and if it was what he was subject to from his infancy, his parents might call him Iscariot from hence. And so Shaquille's speculation is, is that Judas had a childhood disease in his belly. It was called Iscara, and that's why they call him Judas Iscariot, and that's what caused his death when he got so grief-stricken, his belly burst. I don't believe that. I think it makes more sense to say that he was bloated because he hung up there so long. Matthew chapter 27, verses 6 through 8. Then the chief priest took the silver and said, It's not lawful to put it into the temple treasury since it is blood money. Well, isn't that nice? The chief priests are going to keep the law. They're just getting ready to lynch Jesus. They're getting ready to judicially murder him. and But they're not going to break the law by putting blood money into the treasury. Blood money is money that was used to execute somebody. So they conferred together and brought and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. For example, foreigners, people on business in Jerusalem, maybe Roman soldiers, proselytes. Therefore, that field has been called blood field to this day. And in Aramaic, as Luke tells us in Acts 1, is hakodama. I don't know why I like that Aramaic word, hakodama, field of blood. Now, this potter's field had to be a very cheap piece of property because it's hard to buy a field so close to Jerusalem for only 30 pieces of silver. As John Gill says, why is it called the potter's field? Because a potter had dug the field up for earth to make pottery. And that's why the field was pretty much valueless, so cheap, is because the earth had all been dug out of it. I don't know when Matthew was written. I forgot. I think it was uh, uh, people in the 60s sometime. So to this day, Jesus was killed in 8030, the time that Matthew wrote, let's say in the 60s, over 30 years the field had been called the field of blood. And everybody knew about it. They knew what happened. They knew why it was purchased, which means that the field was an ongoing testimony to the innocence of Jesus, according to Adam Clark, because everybody knew that those chief priests took the money that they'd used to bribe Jesus, uh, Judas with, that they had gone out and bought the potter's field. We'll finish up this audio with verses 9 and 10 of Matthew chapter 27. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, the first thing you might notice is that was Zechariah. I've already quoted that verse once. I'll read it again. Zechariah 11:12 through 13. You'll see how much it sounds like Matthew 27, 9 through 10. Then I said to them, if it seems to right to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me, this magnificent price I was valued by them. The price of a slave, by the way, I didn't mention that. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. And of course, then the money made its way from the, from the temple priest to the potter. But the problem is, as Matthew says, 
this was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, not Zechariah. How do you resolve that? Well, there's been a lot of interesting speculations. I think most of them are very weak. I'm going to give you a very simple solution of that problem is that if you look at the order of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, you have the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And the Prophets are divided up into the former Prophets and the latter Prophets in the middle there. The latter Prophets begin with Jeremiah, and, Zach and Zechariah is in the latter Prophets, the Writing Prophets there. So oftentimes a writer who is quoting an Old Testament book will quote the section of the Hebrew Scriptures that the Scripture comes from, the section rather than the particular book. And so then that was Jeremiah. That was the section Jeremiah. That's the easiest way to explain that, that strange statement that the prophet Jeremiah said that when Jeremiah actually didn't say that. Now there are some places that Jeremiah talks about pottery. Jeremiah 19, 1 through 13, and people a lot of times say that, that Matthew was referring to that. I don't think so, because the, the details are not close. I'm not even going to read it. There's some other kind of wild, in my opinion, wild options to reconcile that Jeremiah site when it's Zechariah that's being quoted. Here's one. Zechariah had two names, one of which was Jeremiah. There's no proof of that, as John Gill points out. Some say that Matthew might be quoting an apocryphal book of Jeremiah. Not Zechariah, but another book that Jeremiah wrote. Well, I don't know how much evidence there is for that. Apparently, Jerome suggested this. Some people say the last four chapters of Zechariah were written by Jeremiah. Uh, John Gill denies that. And some people that say that Zechariah is quoting Jeremiah. So that, here's John Gill, quote, It is usual with the rabbis to say that the spirit of Jeremiah was in Zechariah. And it is very plain that the latter prophets have many things from the former. So it might Zechariah have this originally from Jeremiah. So that when Matthew quotes Jeremiah, Jeremiah is quoting Zechariah, and that's why the quote came out so close. I don't believe that. Some people say it's a textual problem because some texts don't have Jeremiah, but that's not in the, the main English translations. They don't show it as a textual problem. So I think the easiest way to explain that is Jeremiah is the head of the latter prophets, and Zechariah was one of the latter prophets, and that's when Matthew was quoting Zechariah. He used the section title there, Jeremiah. I mentioned that the 30 pieces of shekel, 30 pieces of silver that bought that field was the price of a slave. I think it was about four months' wages. Exodus 21:32. If the ox gores a male or female slave, he must give 30 shekels of silver to the slave's master, and the ox must be stoned. That's where that 30 shekels value comes from. So that's the end of this discussion of Judas's suicide. We'll start in the next audio with. Jesus' trial before Pilate. I hope you enjoyed this audio.